You can be opening to Matthew chapter 2 in your Bibles if you'd like or in your phones. Before we get into the series that we've been going through as we lead up to our celebration of the birth of Jesus, uh, I want to remind you of two exciting and meaningful things that our leadership has for us as we turn the page to 2023. Uh, Spent a whole sermon time kind of uh, presenting this to you and explaining this, a couple of these to you. But our vision as a church family, as we state it these days, is we exist to love first, become like Jesus, and advance his mission. That's why we're a group. That's why we're a group. That's why we're a family. That's one of the many ways you can say that. And so this coming year, the leadership has proposed and put together two agendas, two initiatives, if you will, to help us accomplish that middle one a little bit more becoming more like Jesus. And one of these initiatives is something we're asking you to do. And that's more about each of you individually becoming more like Christ. And then the second one is something we will do together. And that's more of us together studying and working to become corporately a little bit more like Christ. And so briefly, because I gave you all this detail on November 20th, if you, if you want to hear more about it, the detailed announcement of this, but the first one comes in the form of our annual theme for next year, which is accelerate taking ground in your walk. Okay. That's, that's our theme next year. And this one's a little bit different than annual themes we've had in the past. And we don't always have them, but usually it drives our content, our sermon content. This one is a goal-oriented theme. And so our goal as a leadership for this body that we want to invite you to join us in is for every single one of you in the calendar year of 2023 to go on some kind of accelerator event. To sign up and go on some kind of accelerator event. An accelerator event is a, a retreat. It's something that, that is on your calendar. It has a definitive beginning and an end. It's an event it's something that's not something you do for the rest of your life. It's special. It's a time out from your normal routine to go up on the proverbial mountain with Christ in order to engage with him in a special and unique way. And that's another thing that defines an accelerator event. It's kingdom motivated. The intent of this event that you put on your calendar and invest in, invest time, money, space, and you go to this event is for you to grow a little bit more like Jesus in some area. And so that's our faith goal as a leadership. Every leader is going to be doing an event next year. We might invite some of you to come with us. And we want every one of you to make a priority of going on an event next year. And for some of you, you haven't been since you were in the youth group. For some of you, you've never been on an accelerator event of some kind. And so we are encouraging everyone to do it. We want to look back at the end of next year and, and all of us have had some opportunity in a special way to go and experience Jesus in some kind of life transforming and shaping and molding sort of way. And so that is our, now that's our work goal. I mean, our faith goal. I'm sorry. Our faith goal is that every single one of you will sign up and go. We can't make you do that. Our work goal is to give you a menu of options, a menu of events all through next year. And we have that menu and it is a work in progress. We'll add to it, but we have brainstormed events that we believe are worthy of your time and engagement, okay? And we're, 
we're going to keep building that. It will be on the website at the turn of the year, but we've already got the preliminary list for you. If if you're like, yes, I'm in, what what are some of the events I can do? You can pick up a hard copy of that. It's a work in progress, but there's events on there with some dates. Some don't have dates yet. There's going to be events added to that list all throughout next year as we're going to create some. Some of our leaders will do some events that we'll invite you on. We'll find others. If you have some that you think you would love to promote to the rest of the body that you've engaged with Christ, we'd love to have those to put on there as well. But you can get that at Small Group Central and we just want to invite you to join us in accomplishing our faith goal that at the end of next year, every single one of us have done some kind of event that accelerates our discipleship. So that's the first initiative that we'll have next year. Another work goal of ours is to nag you about it. We'll nag you about it all year long. And so uh, that's, our, that's our plan. And then the second one comes in the form of our third installment of a class that we've entitled, Can We Talk About This? We've had a couple of editions of this already where we take topics and that are provocative and maybe difficult or intense or people have strong feelings about in our culture or in our church. And we just answer that question, yes, we can talk about it. So we have the third installment of that coming the first two months, one, one week into March, because we're going to give you Super Bowl off. But it's on Sunday, Sunday evenings, and we are going to be talking about and studying together about women's role in the church. Now, if this is the first you're hearing about this, I want to encourage you to go online, southwest.org, go to our teachings, okay, and go back and click on Sunday, November 20th. The beginning of the sermon there is actually in the announcement from our elders. They explain what, where this has come from, the story behind it, why we're called to study this now, and what it entails, and what it means, and what it doesn't mean. And so, uh, there will, it's going to be on Sunday evenings. All the details are there as well, but I did want to add we will have child care from birth to fourth grade available. You will need RSVP for that. For, for the totality of that study. So we're looking forward to doing that together. And I'm looking forward to another year with you of revolving our lives around Christ. Okay, so we have been observing in this series Matthew's record in Matthew chapter 2 of these exotic characters called magi. These magi, we better know them as the three wise men, although the Bible doesn't say there's three, and it does not call them wise in any prophetic word, in, in Matthew, anywhere. We, that is a traditional name. But rather than just dismiss the hundreds of years of Christian tradition calling these guys wise, I decided to look closely at Matthew chapter 2. Is there a reason that these exotic alchemists or astro, astro, astrologers or sorcerers is the only other interpretation in the Bible for this word, okay? It's just kind of weird. Is there a reason Matthew, a very Jewish author, writing to a Jewish audience, trying to convince them of a Jewish Messiah, would add these exotic characters from the East right at the outset of his gospel? And so we've taken a look. Are there reasons through our Christian lens that we would see that Matthew was maybe putting them forth, and they earned this adjective of wise? So we started acknowledging that they were wise because they sought God, right? They were looking for God over there in the East and it led them right to Jesus. So we would call that the wisest thing a human being can do is to seek God in Jesus. And then last week, we noticed that they attached their joy to finding God, to finding Jesus. That's what brought them 
mega joy, over joy, is what they received. And we think that's why. So today I want to put forth to you um, that these guys we would consider wise because they gave their treasure to Jesus as a gift. Like they gave their treasure to him. This is where I get this. It's in verse 11 of chapter 2. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. So these wise men brought their, the word here is treasures, and they gave these treasures as a gift, is the other word here, as a gift to Jesus. That is, they brought material possessions. Now, I've heard some neat theories and about the meanings of the three gifts, but that's not my primary focus today. My focus today is not what the gifts are, but that they brought gifts at all. I, I mean, I, I pause because I'm doing this, I'm studying this, I'm pausing. Why did they bring gifts to God? Well, I mean, so a couple of questions surface for me here that will create the content of this message for you today. And the first one is, why did they bring them? Not what gifts did they bring, but why bring gifts at all? I'm imagining, I'm kind of using my creative thoughts here based on what we do know about what we don't know. They're somewhere in the East. We know that. They're searching for God. We know that. We don't know. They're looking in nature, perhaps. They're looking in, they're researching different writings from different people groups. And anyway, it led them. God gave them a light to follow. Star. And they, they're packing up on their hunt for God. I don't know when they came to know it's going to be in this little Jewish tribe, a, a king born in that Jewish tribe over there in the West. I don't know when that happened, but that somewhere happened. But at some point, they had to decide while they were packing, hey, guys, let's, in case we find God, let's pack up some of our stuff, some of our values. It's treasure. Let's take treasure, some of our material possessions with us, because if we find God, we want to give them to him. We want to give God, which would end up being Jesus, gifts, material gifts. And I'm, I'm, so when I really stop and think about that, I'm like, why? And this is obviously stemming from now. Why would we give gifts to God? But I'm asking it in their context. Why would they give gifts to God? And I start thinking of motivations for maybe why I or we or they would give material possessions to God. And, and everything was unsatisfactory to me. Some of the things I might lean on as explanations. Uh, the first one is, well, because God's worthy of their material gifts. God is worthy of our treasure, our money, our material gifts. Those are all synonyms to me. But if that's why, if they're really trying to give him what he's worth, where do you stop? Right? Like, how much do you decide to, how much of your gold do you pull out of your bank and bring to God and say, this is what you're worth? See, that just didn't satisfy me. It's not, at best, it's a token of what he's worth, but still, it's, it's, I just don't think that would it. I mean, if they really want to give God what he's worth when they find him, it seems like they're going to give him their whole life. They should bring their whole estate. They should move wherever he is and revolve their life around him. And that's still not worthy enough of a gift. So that doesn't satisfy me as like the deepest motive. It's certainly not because they thought, well, if we find God, he's going to need our money. He's going to need our gifts, you know? I don't think it's because if they, they, they think whatever God will be worthy of their worship is going to need their material possessions. I mean, that'd be insulting for traveling dignitaries to come 
acting like a, like a human king. You need us. You need what we got here. Here, take this. You're going to need it based on your circumstances. I mean, let alone God. So that doesn't satisfy me. I don't think. I, I'm sure Matthew is now putting it in there, like attributing the motive of they're trying to buy favors from God. It's a bribe or a you know a payment. It's like a transactional thing. Hey, we'll give you these gifts if if you will give us this. I know there's a temptation in us to do that when we're desperate, but that's. That's not how God works. That starts early in the story. Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, God accepts no bribes. So think about it. If they're searching for God and they had an expectation that they might actually find him, wouldn't they be the ones coming as the needy ones? I mean, wouldn't they be the ones coming in a posture of need or lack or, you know, in need of the the gifts from God? Aren't, Aren't we the ones in the needy posture, so why then did they bring gifts? I believe the reason that they brought material gifts to God, to Jesus, is because this is a uniquely human way of ascribing value to God, right? It, it, not all gifts are given even among us because someone needs it. It's, it's sometimes given to ascribe value, just to, to let someone know that they have value. So it's, it's a way of saying, I don't come to you just to receive your gifts. I become because I value you. And so I show you that, and maybe we show ourselves, by taking treasure that has worth in every other economy on earth, and we take that as something valuable that I could use for me, And I transfer ownership of it to God to let him know. It's not not your whole value at all, but it is letting you know you are what I value. You are what I treasure. I asked Doyle about this one time. Why why do we give to God? Why does he want our money? We know he doesn't need it. And he was sitting in my office and he looked around my office and he saw a bunch of pictures that I've collected from my daughter who she's always drawn me pictures and given them to me. And she goes, let me just ask you this. Why does Callie give you pictures I go okay that's a good question let me think that through and I start trying to examine why Callie would give me pictures it's certainly not because I need them right she's not giving it to me because you need you definitely need this dad that wouldn't make any sense I don't think she's trying to buy something I don't think it's transactional you know I guess I could ask you what do you want you know I don't think that's it I think there's just something in starting early on in that little girl that when she's sitting down and she's just has some margin, has some time, she's thinking of her daddy who she loves and she wants to bless him. She wants to let him know, I value you. You're important to me. I treasure you. I think that's kind of what's going on here. So when you, the transferring thought for us is when you give your treasure to God, when you give your treasure to Jesus, you're saying by giving you something that you do not need and that I might otherwise enjoy myself, especially if it ventures into that area where I think I may be sacrificing, right? I'm giving treasure to the point of maybe I'm sacrificing maybe even needs that I feel like I have. When I do that, I am attributing, telling you, God, I value you. I value you and I use the whole world's economy of what is valuable to declare it to you, but maybe, remember, also to us. 
This reminded me of a song that we sing. You actually sing this. You know this song and you believe it. We declare how precious God is to us and more precious than our treasure. I just asked the praise team if they would to just lead us in that right here. Just pause here in the teaching and, and let's just declare this truth together, can we? Lord, you are more precious and So let's say that that's why they gave their treasures to Jesus and we would declare that wise. And so emulating them, us giving our treasure, our gifts, our monetary or material gifts to Jesus would be equally wise. Please me the second question, how? Like how do you give, how do you transfer ownership of your treasure to Jesus. How do you transfer it to God? They definitely had an advantage. Now they had to search for him, but Jesus was here in the flesh, right? They had to find him, but they had a place to go, a person to see, and stuff that they could transfer ownership to him, and they knew they were giving it to Jesus. It's a little bit tougher for us, isn't it? Like, I want, I would like, I would love to give my money to Jesus, but it would be nice if I also had a physical person to give it to so that I could know. And that's Jesus. There he is. Well, I want to suggest to you that we do. That we do. There are physical people you can give it to and you know that you're giving it to Jesus. We have that. So there's, we all know there's multiple ways to give gifts to God, but we're talking about right here financial gifts. Treasure, right, is what it's called. We're talking about material stuff gifts. So wealth you know, things. Wouldn't it be great if we had someone we could transfer our possessions to and know it was to Jesus? We do have that. So there's lots of ways to give gifts to Jesus, but there is one priority elevated all throughout scripture, even before Jesus in the story and well after Jesus in the story that is still relevant to us. And that's the poor, the needy. It's those that don't have as much. They don't have, especially if they don't have their needs met in some material way. And Jesus overtly says, you're giving it to me when you're giving it to them. Right here, I refer to this all the time. I'm gonna read at least the whole thing, half of the whole thing, I guess. Matthew 25, excuse me, snorted. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Judgment day. This is, our, this is one picture, one description of that day. Then the king will say, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. That's the group we want in. And he describes the people in that group. 
For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, maybe how we would answer him. When do we do that? When do we see you? I mean, I know the wise men, they saw you. They gave physical gifts to physical you. When do we do that? When do we do all those things? When do we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty, give you something to drink, stranger and invite you in, needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or a prisoner and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Now, what he's about to say is the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You did that for me. I hear so many stories. Of, I, I just have this blessed seat in this body where I get to hear, get a front row seat for so many stories. How many of you take opportunities and make opportunities? Some of you have built your life around the opportunities of using your money to bless those who are needy. Beautiful stories that I know is motivated by your love for God. And I just want to remind you, according to this, you're giving that to Jesus. You are doing that. You take your treasure that you could otherwise enjoy yourself in some way, get a little bit extra, you know, feel like you deserve it, and you give it away. You transfer ownership from you to someone else who's hungry or is thirsty or is naked or is in some other way needing of material gifts. And I just don't want you to miss that. When you do that, you are being wise like these wise men. You're doing what they did. You're giving your gifts to Jesus, not just to the needy, according to Jesus. In the same way, they were giving it to Jesus, you are too. So to practice this kind of wisdom, and you know, this is the call for us. It's to practice this kind of wisdom, and it takes two things, two inward things, and both are work. And we can take ground in this, but we can give ground in this if we don't maintain it. The first one is we have to become God-centered versus self-centered. We have to be God-centered versus self-centered. I'm doing a discipleship study with a couple of brothers, and the curriculum we're using, he suggests, the, the way this discipleship study says it is, James Brian Smith is his name. He says, we need to make this real and inward move from the false narrative of what's mine is mine, to the true narrative for the Christian, what appears to me mine is really God's. That is a move we must make if we're going to give to Jesus, right? So that's a whole series for another time. But when you do that, and I don't want you to miss this today, there's another practical move you've got to make. So, some, so many of you have made this move. You are, you, you fully God-centered, but there's categories still. You need to apply it in. And this might be one. I don't want you to miss it. It's what the wise men did. If you're going to do what the wise men did and give to Jesus by giving to the needy, you got to find the needy. Like you've got to know where they are. You've got to know how they're needy and then transfer your material possessions in appropriate way to them to where it helps. To where, and, and so... That is easier said than done, right? That is easier said than done. And so we're doing this study. And every time I'm in a group of Christians and we get to generosity or giving or helping the poor. 
very, almost every time, we, we use examples to evaluate our attitude towards giving to the poor. And who do we use? What's our data point? The homeless, that person that you pass on the street with the sign. Almost universally, that is the data point we use to evaluate whether we're wise in this area. And I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong, okay? I'm just saying it might be lazy. It might be. So because for better or for worse, no, I'll say for better and worse, we generally flock together with people who are like us. So if we are people who on some occasion or maybe every day of our life, we have margin financially, we've got margin in our stuff, then we probably hang out with and are friends with people in that same arena, people who generally have margin, needs are met. And so we don't have a lot of relationship with those in whom Jesus resides if we want to give our money, if we want to be wise, if we want to give our treasure, our gifts to Jesus. And so our only data point when we examine it are people who do intersect with us as we go, and that's that guy on I-40. That's that guy on I-40 with the sign. And so I evaluate, and this isn't wrong, I'm eva- we evaluate ourselves, and how, what is my reaction to that? And so for me, personally, I always, this is always part of my processing, even when I pass them, I feel like, okay, just to give them money feels like it could be enabling. Y'all, y'all feel, I'm not alone on this, right? Feels like, I, I don't know what they're going to use that for. It feels like maybe irresponsible, that maybe they're just lazy and they're just using this to feed a habit that's not healthy or something, right? And on the other side, if I don't give it, I feel like, man, I'm not very giving. So here's what I do. Sometimes I give it to go, look, it's on them, how they use it. My heart is to give it to Jesus. You know, I'm going to err on the side of mercy. I'll do that. And then on the other side, I feel like what I should be doing is I, if I want to give to that person, I should be stopping. I should be inviting them into my car. I should get to know them, hear their story, right? We should become friends. And then I can see what their need is and see how to best help them. And I've tried this. It's very time consuming and not always fruitful. Okay, but it just feels lazy if I'm just, so I just don't feel like, what I, what I want to say is, maybe I'm the one being lazy. Maybe I'm the one being lazy. Here, here's, and, and here's, so this is a direct quote from James Bryan Smith in that chapter that I want to, this was so relieving to me, and it's not the only way, but it's a way for us to be wise like the wise men were, okay, and giving our stuff to the needy and therefore to Jesus. He says this, I offer this practice, which I know works well. Give all you can to organizations that, distri- that are designed to distribute food and clothing and money to those in need. In my city, there are several organizations that do an excellent job of this. They're like the deacons in Acts 6. Their doors are open each day and they know how to help people get what they need. I loved this. I loved this because when I pass that person on the street, I just feel like if that's my only data point, maybe I should go on the hunt. Maybe just like the wise men had to go and search for Jesus and they were diligent about it and they worked on it and they found him. Maybe I should do that and find ways in which I can get my treasure transferred to the actual poor and needy rather than throw my hands and say, I just, I just can't do it with the guy on the street or I just am gonna do it with the guy on the street. How about we be a little more diligent 
in our search for Jesus. Because we know where he resides, he told us. It's in the needy. So if we want to give our treasure to Jesus, we know how to do it. We give it to the needy. Well, there are whole organizations that make it their business to do that. And they depend on our treasure to get that done. That's not cheating. Doesn't that, oh, okay. Because the 20 relationships I've had, tried to have with the homeless folks have been really tough. It's been, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's good. The motive's good. I've learned a lot. But I want to do this regularly. And so I really love this quote. And I want, and so that made me really excited. I mean, I wanted to go, this is perfect. I will give our church a list of places. We do have places in this city that do a good job and people that do a good job of, you know, dispersing money to the actual needy. They have those relationships. And then I stopped and I went, wait a minute, I'm about to give a list. Of... We do that. We do that. Now, most of you know this, but there might be some new here that don't know. We are one of those organizations that have made it our business as a group to be in relationship with the needy and to let them know our doors are open. They're always open. Our phone is always ready. And we will engage with you in a way to disperse food and clothing and money to those who have need. We do that. That means if you're a faithful giver here, you do that. You do that. And I thought, I just go, I mean, we dedicate time. We dedicate space. We dedicate a hefty portion of our budget. We, 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 We dedicate staff. A whole volunteer army makes this thing go. And the needy get fed and clothed and get help financially right here. When you put money in those boxes, you are giving your treasure to Jesus. So I went to Misty. Misty Bourne is our leader of this ministry. I just asked, hey, how are we doing? How are we doing? And she got some big eyes. She goes, oh, we're, we're over. We're over budget. We've had more needs than we anticipated this year. And just because of circumstances, we're anticipating more needs next year than we normally budget. So our funds for both member, we take care of the needy among us too. That's top priority, Okay member help and community help is behind budget the funds for the community garden that feeds our neighbors uh, who also have an opportunity to rub elbows with us that that's a little bit over our snack back for kids you probably haven't heard that we haven't mentioned that in a while but that's where we send meals home to uh, food poor families to kids at the middle school right over there there's more kids than we expected so we're a little over budget on that community outreach funds that's not fully funded and i say all this not not just to inform you of the need really but to inform you that when you give here you are doing that but i did ask and we are behind and those needs are not and requests are not going to stop between now and christmas and get us to the new year when we arbitrarily refresh our budget numbers you know so I do have a call of action for you today. Would you consider helping us make up for that deficit? Just that. We're already doing it. You are already doing it. But if you have some extra, would you put a little bit more in there? Just put a little bit more in there and let's, let's catch up in Jesus that we're ministering to with our treasure. But also, if you don't have extra, this isn't guilt. This is never guilt. It's never guilt. God doesn't need your money. It's about his value to you. So if you don't have it, I'm not saying give that, okay? If you don't have extra, you're already a faithful giver. I just wanted you to recall. This is a thing we do. 
This is a thing we do, and we put a lot of time and energy into it. And even if you're not the face right there at the door, answering the door, you're doing it. You are transferring your treasure to Jesus by giving to the needy. Let me ask our elders and our ministers and their spouses to go and move around the room. We'll have some up there and down here. And let me just end with, because I did want to tell you one of the neat theories, because this is so Jesus-centric. One of the neat theories about the gifts the wise men gave and one of the ideas of what the, why these three gifts, why gold, why incense, why myrrh. And it has to do with roles that Jesus plays. And Matthew might have put in his Jewishness right here and said, this is, these are the gifts they brought and here's why they brought them. Gold is a gift appropriate for a king. And so when we give, when they give Jesus the gold, they are receiving him in his value to him as king. You're the boss. I live for you. I trust your commands. I align my life with how you say to live. The incense. The incense is said to be a gift to Jesus as a priest. A priest, you know, who all traditionally Jewish, you know, they had incense in the temple that lifted our prayers up to God. We have images of that in Revelation. The angels do the same. And so this is us telling him, we receive you as our treasure as a priest. Someone who represents God to us and represents us to God. We receive that. And then the myrrh, it's used in burial rites. And so this is seen as giving him a material gift that honors that we value you as our sacrifice. You paid for me there's any hope of me getting to heaven it's because you paid the price for me and I give you this gift and to tell you that I value you there maybe you need Jesus in one or all of those areas you do you do need him in one or all of those areas and so we want to invite you to that if you want to know how to walk and receive him in any or all of those areas we want to help you as we stand and we sing